Have you ever met a financial advisor that focuses on helping CEOs optimize the financial performance of their SaaS business? I recently have, and she is a bona fide fan of Tectonic. I am Thomas Law, the Executive Director of the Technology and Services Industry Association, and welcome to Tectonic, the podcast where we explore what makes technology business models successful in today's world. And today, I will be speaking with Rochalie Herrera, who is actively consulting with CEOs on how to improve the financial performance of their as-a-service business model. So let's get this insight engine humming here. Uh, Rasha Lee, welcome to Tectonic. It's, it's great to meet you uh, virtually here. You recently founded this firm to help CEOs assess and improve the performance of their SaaS business model. So let's start here. Can you describe the services that your firm provides? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Thomas, for having me. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. My firm uh, effectively focuses on two things, right? We focus on managing cash flow and improving profitability. And everything that we do, all the services that we perform, essentially rolls up to these two goals. So um, just thinking about it, like we all know cash is king, right? And especially in the SaaS space, the year last year and a half, especially this uh, year, so far, with investors being much more focused on being risk averse and they're much more skeptical, um, they're less interested in an idea and they actually want profitability. Our service is specifically designed to help um, SaaS companies with exactly just that. I would say that what we do are fractional CFO, accounting, tax planning, and risk management services. And we, but we take a holistic approach to really manage the different pillars of the business. And we use the accounting, the, the data behind all the information as the backbone and the storyteller to help us to um, come up with the, the, the appropriate decisions or to better take better to inform decisions so that we can maximize returns and improve the cash flow for, for SaaS companies. Awesome. Well, right now I'm doing these series of conversations with executives from technology companies on this topic of profitable SaaS and cash flow just keeps coming up again and again and again. So we're definitely going to click. I got some questions for you on cash flow, but I'm really curious. So we met through LinkedIn and our the CEO of TSI, JB Wood, um, I think stumbled on your profile and he was struck by the fact that there's this firm that specifically focuses on helping CEOs optimize SaaS business models. And I, I'm just really curious, how did you land on that square? Because it's, you know, it's pretty specific. It's very specific and it's uh, very much, I guess, just uh, in some ways by chance. My background really is in real estate. The majority of my career has been in that space. But my last corporate experience was actually in a real estate fintech company. Oh, okay. And, yeah. Yeah. And their business model in particular um, resembles in a lot of ways the, the SaaS business model. Just mm -hmm. with the focus on making sure that they have a proper go-to-market strategy, um, the importance of customer success, finding ways to reduce churn and improving net retention because they dealt with a lot of strategic and enterprise customers. All of that was pretty important to making sure that they had a successful business model. And that's where I got my intro to the SaaS space. I've also had the the pleasure really of working with in the regulation crowdfunding space where I got to work with a lot of tech companies, many of which were SaaS. And um, I've had the opportunity to work with them to give them insights that they need to help to set up some of the foundations and to be able to put metrics in place to 
effectively manage their cash burn. So, but when you were working for the fintech company, were you in sort of the financial accounting side of the business? Is that your background initially? Ah, so my background is actually in internal audit. But um, oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, but it's it's I I don't think it, there could be anything much more perfect. And in a way, I think it's made my my exposure a little bit unique because um, in order, well, first, in order for you to audit something, you have to understand that thing, right? So um, a lot of the financial accounting um, processes were audited. So yeah. got the financial um, background from that perspective, but then also the operational processes were being audited and looking at different value streams and just looking at everything for efficiencies. I got to be able to merge the understanding of finance and understanding of the operations to really see the whole picture of how everything worked. Oh, wicked cool. Yeah, no, it's, it's super interesting. So um wasn't by design, but you landed here. And then, you know, it's at a very interesting point in time when suddenly, you know, all these SaaS companies who were not very concerned about profitability per se, maybe cash flow, but not profitability, suddenly they really, you know, care about it big time. And so I'm very curious when you start working with a company, what's the starting point? What critical data, you know, do you do you focus on to shape your perspective on the health of the company? Yeah. Um, and you know what? I like that you say the health of the company because that's actually the first thing I do in terms of an organizational health checkup. So I do an assessment of the business operations through different interviews um, with key personnel in the company to evaluate just uh, even just their understanding of the culture and the processes and also combining that with an evaluation of the financial statements and of the different KPIs that they may be focused on. And but that gives me a a very nice holistic picture of some of the, the the key things to to look for and some of the critical data points specifically that I focus on to help shape my perspective are the number of customers that they're having. Um, I'm looking at average revenue per per account. Um, I'm looking at the cost of sales um, as a percentage of revenue. I'm looking at net revenue retention, logo churn, the customer health score. Just a few of the data points, but really you combine that with an understanding of just the, the, the culture and the different processes and systems that they have in place. That gives me a really good feel for how healthy they are and what areas may need to be focused on first. So I'll give you a, a data point from one of our TSI data sets. So we track 40 of the largest publicly traded uh, SaaS companies. We look at them every quarter in our cloud 40. And on average, those companies spend about 37% of revenue on sales and marketing, which we have been saying forever is absolutely unsustainable. It's just, you know, a typical software company spends like 22%. And, you know, it, it's interesting because they all are are realizing that's problematic they want to reduce those costs. And, you know, the first thing that you go for is headcount. You know, that's why you see these massive layoffs. But, you know, ultimately, our assertion is you can't cut your way to future success and growth. You know, there's things you can do to trim and get, you know, help. But ultimately, you got to, you know, you got to move beyond that. And it, it kind of leads to my my second question here, because y- when you and I first met, we, we were talking, you said that, you know, it's interesting because there's this reality that sometimes executive teams don't see the connections between various performance metrics and how those metrics are impacting critical financial metrics. So can you give a couple examples of these connections, which are really important for executive teams to understand? Yeah, absolutely. So without divulging too much, I would say, imagine a SaaS company where 
the majority of their customers are enterprise customers. And so retaining those customers are critical, right? So this particular company had a situation where they actually lost three enterprise customers in three months and lost a ton of that recurring revenue. Was it an accident or was it unforeseeable, I should say? No, not necessarily. The signs were really all there. They just weren't really connecting it. And what what I saw with that really was you had a situation where payroll costs had been increasing, right? Which turned out to be that they were having increased labor because employees are working extra hours to try to remedy customer complaint issues. Wow. Okay. Then you had um, another situation, well, it's within the same situation where the customer complaints were increasing. So churn by itself was naturally increasing. They were monitoring the customer health score, right? But for some reason, this data was not accurate or it wasn't complete. It was it was where the underlying data wasn't feeding up to the actual data and it was actually a manual input on the top level. Okay. So <laughs> they're here relying on the customer health score to saying, hey, things look great yet you're having uh, increased customer complaints and increased labor costs, but no one was actually putting those things together to say that, hey, something is probably off with the the customer health score. And customer success wasn't really talking to the other departments to be able to, for them to be able to see that altogether. So that's one example. If I play that back, I mean, there's, there's a couple, you know, s- symptoms there. And and for our audience, I mean, I'm going to play this to companies, whether you're, you know, large or mid-sized company or a small company, right? So, so one thing is, do we really have our eyes on the right metrics, right? So there may be some leading metrics that could be helping us understand that we're going to have some problems and we're not even tracking those, right? So we got to make sure that we've got the right metrics in play, right? I think that's one thing we'd be helping people understand. But the second one is you may have metrics like customer health, as, as you mentioned, but the systems and the processes that drive that metric are not what they're supposed to be. And, and this can happen in very large companies, very sophisticated companies, right? In fact, sometimes the larger, the more complexity, the more likely this is to happen where you go, hey, you know, hey, everything's fine. That, that you know, that metric's green and blah, blah, blah. Well, whoa, wait, what just happened there? When, and when you click into it, you find that your underlying process is broke or that, you know, the data feeding it is is broke. And, and and I'm curious if we just put looked at those two buckets, right? One bucket is companies aren't looking at the right metrics. The other bucket is, well, maybe they have metrics in play, but it is really the systems, the processes supporting it. W- which is do you find to be more common a problem? Is it not looking at the right things or the way those things are working? Yeah, it's generally it's somewhat of a combination, but I would say probably the most problematic is the the systems and processes surrounding the metrics. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you know, it's so interesting with technology because, you know, you're working with SaaS companies and by definition are technology companies. We work with technology companies all day long. And, and sometimes it's stunning how a technology company can have such a convoluted, you know, technology environment. <laughs> <laughs> internally, right? They're helping these customers, right? Implement, you know, sophisticated, you know, software and all this stuff and getting them running and helping them with all kinds of stuff. And then you look at, you know, what they're doing themselves internally. And sometimes it can just be a mess. It's just, it's really fascinating how that works. So, you know, TSI, we've been 
benchmarking SaaS companies forever. And we have a very good sense of what practices drive better profitability. Um, for example, if you monetize some of your customer success activities, you're going to be much more likely to be profitable. What are some of the patterns you see where you know, you know clients that you're working with that are profitable or, or get profitable, what are some of the, the top practices you, you see them implementing consistently? Yeah, I would say that I, I really like the idea of monetizing customer success. And I think I've seen where some some are monetizing different aspects of their business that they wouldn't normally do before. Um, what I'm seeing is less freemium products mm-hmm. or the trial periods are a lot shorter. So yeah. so that a customer can't kind of live forever on that freemium? Exactly. Or you may, you may get a freemium and there's really nothing you can do with it. It's like, hey, uh, you can log in, but if you really want to do something, then it's, you're going to have to upgrade. And so I've, I've seen a lot of that. And I think that that's, that's actually pretty beneficial and that, that works well. I've also seen, though, where it is beneficial for them to, because you can only um, monetize so much as well, right? Um, they really have to focus on controlling the inefficiencies, controlling the waste, so that whenever they are monetizing and they're getting more revenues in, they're not spending as much, you know, having as much going going out as they have coming in, so that you know they won't always be in the red. Yeah, you know, it, it is interesting. Um, I was talking to uh, actually, I think I was talking to JB Wood again, our, our CEO. And I was making this observation that there's actually an entire generation of CFOs in the tech industry in these SaaS companies that may have, they literally may be CFOs and have never been the CFO of a profitable company their entire life. So, so some of this, you know, blocking and tackling, like you say, just the basics of, Hey, we got to make sure that there's more money coming in than going out, right. Is, is, is a first, right. For them to really have to have to worry about. And it's interesting, you know, you, you told me that you are often brought in by the CEO, not the CFO. And why do you think that is? Right. And, you know, um, I, I think it's probably a combination of a couple of things. Um, and, Interesting enough, that's actually why I decided to add the fractional CFO component to, to my business. Um, the CFOs are you know, are generally, you know, they're, they're responsible for similar things that that I'm doing as well. But they're, for the most part, I would say that for the SaaS companies that are not the hubspots or the sales force of the world, you know, they they don't. May, they may not necessarily have the resources to hire a full-time CFO or they may not need a full-time CFO and staff. So those CEOs, they'll tend to reach out to a company like mine to help them to fulfill that need. But then also I think um, CFOs, they completely get the finance um, side of things. They may not necessarily understand the risk portion of things as well. So they so they may not necessarily see um, things the way that, that, that I would see them, if that makes sense. Well, and, and so let's click into that risk piece of it. So what's, what's some of the areas of, of sort of risk assessment that you're looking at that a CFO may not be looking at? Well, for instance, um, cash on hand, right? Um, so it's, it's cash on hand and, but they're thinking how much, how, how many months maybe they have for, for burn. And I'm, I'm thinking the same thing as well, but I'm also thinking, along the lines of what are some of the the things that could 
impact the ability to have that cash remaining on hand. It could be if there if it's a SaaS company that's in a in an industry that's heavily regulated, there are some compliance things that could come in and just snatch that 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 cash away um, yeah. very quickly if you're not focusing on that. Um, there there could be um, other legal requirements or something that you know the things that are not necessarily obvious to the to the to the naked eye or so obvious as to the day to day spending, but there are things that could come in on the back end and then just but but they can be catastrophic if they do happen, including cyber cyber risk. Um, those are the things that I also focus on when when considering um, what a company's cash flow could could look like. And obviously, I mean, and if you're dealing with a smaller firm, I mean, that risk is exponential in terms of, you know, your every customer is critical. Like you just mentioned earlier, like losing three customers to a, to a you know, a SaaS company that's just starting up and getting going, or maybe doesn't have that large of an install base, uh, that can be catastrophic. That can be de- detrimental. So understanding the risk of you know, your install base, you know, where your revenue is coming from, <laughs> you may have a critical sector, critical set of customers. Um, yeah. So that's, that's fascinating. So you also, when we were talking, you said that you're, you are, you know, not only engaged by SaaS companies, but other companies that have recurring revenue business models. Give me some examples of, of those. What are the other types of companies you work with? Yeah, sure. So yeah, I'm, I'm engaged by companies that are not necessarily strictly SaaS, right? But anything where they benefit from being relational and not so transactional in nature. And uh, some of these are um, uh, a tech company that provides customer service on behalf of e-commerce customers, um, tech companies that provide IT services on behalf of other companies, um, could be even like fractional CMO companies that are or digital marketing companies that are providing services for the cus- other customers. Um, I have uh, food subscription box services, um, beverage subscription box services. Interesting. And even, yeah. yeah, and even a senior home health agency where the service is just recurring in nature. So Yeah. And, and obviously a lot of similarity between all those models if they're recurring. You're, you're looking at the same you know, set, set of issues. I have to click into ca- cash flow Um because I'd love to get your perspective on this. I, again, speaking with an executive team, oh my gosh, just two weeks ago, and they said, "Hey, we've got this huge focus on cash flow." And so, what are SaaS companies doing? What levers are they pulling to, you know, and business decisions are making to maximize cash flow, whether it's short term or, or just changing the business model so that the, it's, you know, it's it's has a better cash flow profile. By the way, we've seen in in the cloud forty. You know, cash the percentage of companies with positive cash flow has gone down. The amount of cash flow has gone down. You know, over this past year, you know, inflation, interest rates, you know, all this stuff, right? So it's you know, it's you know, clearly a concern for a lot of companies. And as we were talking about it, I said, well, gosh, you know, besides reducing headcount, which obviously has an immediate impact on you know taking costs out, I said, I'm not sure you know those direct you know dots people are connecting between pull this lever specifically to improve my cash flow position, what are some of the things that you see people do there besides headcount reduction that, that they're doing to make sure they're protecting or improving cash flow? Yeah, besides headcount, headcount is definitely the, the biggest one that I see where they're shifting to um, outsource because they still need the services, right? But in a lot of cases, they'll outsource certain functions to, for instance, instead of having an in-house um, HR team, they'll they'll do a, um, a PEO um, yeah. service. Um I've seen where they've been trying to renegotiate terms with with banks um, to be able to either 
extend out the the due dates for for the loans um or i've seen where they're and then this one's tricky because vendors don't necessarily want to do this but they'll re- mm-hmm. renegotiate terms with their vendors to be able to extend out how far instead of going from um, net 30 maybe pay in 60 days to be able to have the cash in hand um i've seen some too that used to have more of um uh a, a model where the revenues were on on credit they'll be having receivables on hand instead of having cash where they're switching more to well can you pay me up front you know um just anything really to have the cash get more cash on hand on and, cash and burn less cash going out the door yeah interesting the um, uh, you know i'm curious because you are working with a lot of different companies so do you think it's getting you know better out there or tougher out there for these SaaS companies? It depends on the day. <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah. I, um, I, I would say up until even like uh, uh, yesterday, I think things are probably getting a little bit better. I think in, in a lot of ways, they're, they're getting a little bit more used to the environment. Um, they've, so they're um, adjusting to the reality, if you will. They're adjusting to the reality, yeah. But then I also heard recently about, I guess, the, a recent downgrading of the, the, the banks. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that will have some more impact on tightening of credit. And that may or may not impact. So that's a wait and see. But yeah, I, 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 think, I think they're adjusting. And I think the ones that can really adapt are the ones that are going to end up surviving in the, in, the, in the long term. So hard to read the tea leaves right now, you know, economically in terms of is this going to be soft landing? Is it be like no recession? Is it? And I think there's a lot of uncertainty, and so everybody's sort of holding their breath. But that means a, a lot of times customers aren't willing to make investments, you know, in a let's say a, a new you know enterprise application because they're waiting to find out where the economy is going. So it sort of has this domino effect. But I think if I listen to you, you're saying, hey, these companies are, are realizing they have to operate differently. They're adjusting to that reality. They're getting the balance sheet in better shape. They're getting cash flow in better shape, all that type of stuff. Um, I think one of the tough things, I, I don't think it's any easier right now for them to get the funding like they could you know, two years ago. That next round of funding still seems to be really, really tight, especially if you're just what I'll call a, a typical old, old enterprise SaaS company. You know, If you're like an AI company or you have some you know, really cool story to tell there, then, then maybe you're getting funding. But, it, but And I'm curious, is that... The experience you're seeing with your clients that are what I'll say like a traditional SaaS enterprise company is like no one's knocking on the door throwing money at them anymore. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and if you started out earlier this year with a SaaS product, um, but and it didn't have AI, that those fundings went away very quickly. It was back to the drawing board basically to figure out a way to incorporate AI into it. Yeah, and I, you know, I have to tell you, uh, you know, that to me is been the most stunning thing to watch. I've been in this industry, you know, many, many years, and we've been riding this SaaS wave for, you know, really over 20. And, you know, if you were a SaaS startup, I mean, you were the cool thing, right? I mean, people wanted to invest in you and they're like, hey, you're going to get ARR going and you're going to be great and you're going to have this ridiculous valuation and blah, blah, blah. And then literally overnight last year, it was like, nope, nope. Don't care about that. I don't want to hear your story. And and I just think that there's still. And I, I I'm curious here if you if you're dealing with companies, especially if you're dealing with founders, uh, you know, I, I think and executive teams, they're some of them are still in a bit of a state of shock where they're like, hey, I, I think my valuation's coming back. 
you know, I think the valuation I had in 2020, right? 2021, I think, you know, I had this huge multiplier. We had this great valuation. I just got to ride it out. I think that's coming back. And I don't think it is for these traditional SaaS enterprise companies, but that, you know, I'd be curious, do you see sort of that, I don't want to call it denial with that sort of disconnect of, hey, your company is not worth what it was. No, I... I, I see the same thing and, and I agree completely. I don't I don't think it's coming back. I th- I think it will be better than what it is. Yeah, now. oh yeah. Oh I yeah. I think it's it's not going back to 21. Yeah, it is interesting times. Well, I have one you know final question for you and it's you know it, there's no doubt that, that this has been a painful pivot for these companies to go from hey grow at any cost to hey it really you know we're looking for profitable growth and that by the way is what's also interesting is for a lot of these SaaS companies now that if they're public or if they do have investors in them they're they're basically saying look okay you're you're weathering the the cost part of this right like you're getting cash flow under control you're trimming your sales on on your costs now you know if we if we are going to get that valuation to come back you have to walk and chew gum at the same time. You have to have a growth story. You got to get back to growth, <laughs> and you have to have pro- you know have, and do it while being profitable, right? You can't have this story anymore. Well, if you want me to grow, you can't expect me to be profitable. That's crazy talk. And they're saying, no, no, no. You really need to be able to do both, you know, um, you know, at the same time. And so I'm, you know, I'm curious that sort of reality. How is that impacting? Some of the smaller companies you work with, especially ones that you know might have been you know crowdsourced or bootstrapped, you know how how are they getting their heads around the fact that I, I need to get into a model where I can both grow and be profitable simultaneously? Yeah, I think it's been easier from what I see with the bootstrapped companies, and that they've um, always had the or more more likely have had the mindset of. Um, wanting to grow their companies, but, but to build in a, in a cost effective and in, in a lean startup type of way, yeah, yeah. right? Because that's their funds. Um, yeah. The crowdsourced, not so much. Um, that was someone else's money that they, that they were um, in, in being with. Cheap money, cheap money, free money. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's, it's, I think, I think though, um, especially earlier this year with Silicon Valley, everything has just been like a, a shock to their systems, but they're adapting. They're definitely adapting. And I, I think, I think they'll adapt. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know ultimately they will adapt to. I, th- I don't think we we've worked it through the entire system yet in terms of again this this belief that things are just going to come back. I, I still you know I think there's several companies that kind of feel that way that they haven't internalized that. Um, but I do think it's a new playbook for these CEOs and these CFOs when it comes to their SaaS companies. It's a new set of um, success metrics. It's a new set of disciplines internally. Um, you know that they have to implement that they historically. Uh, never, you know, did have to do when money was, you know, literally right. nearly free. So, it, you know, it's it, it's definitely uh, different out there. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, the, these companies are going to benefit by having, you know, folks like yourself out there that can help put the right lens on it, you know, to, to get to the right answers uh, so they can drive profitable growth. So I, I'm going to be respectful of your time. Um, I really appreciate you stopping in today on Tectonic. It was great to, again, meet you virtually here. And I always end these episodes with a question of the day. So this is my question for our audience. SaaS companies can be profitable and grow at the same time. Do you know what the financial model looks like for your company? Cheers. Cheers.